Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. In area news headlines, City of Dubuque vendor reports accidental transfer of patients' personal information. Some personal information of patients treated by the Dubuque Fire Department last fall was transferred inadvertently to another city vendor, city officials said today. A press release states that a vendor hired by the City of Dubuque to analyze Dubuque Fire Department and Ambulance Service call data inadvertently transferred patients' personal information through a secured electronic transfer. The personal information was acquired from the Dubuque Fire Department emergency medical responses between September 10th and December 18th, the release states. The event was not part of a hack or cyber attack. When the error was discovered December 18th, the information was immediately deleted by the receiving vendor and the inadvertent data transfers were immediately stopped, the release states. The receiving vendor has confirmed the data was not accessed by anyone before its deletion. Data may have been included, but it is not limited to an individual's name, address, and date of birth, social security number, driver's license information, and protected health information. Quote, the city of Dubuque has no evidence that any of the protected health information of patients has been or will be misused, the release states. Out of an abundance of caution, the city is notifying all individuals whose information was shared and is offering information on additional steps they can take if they have concerns, end quote. Here's a look at area business news. BizBuzz Wine Shop opening in Dubuque. Healthcare provider opens Darlington Clinic. Women's Fitness Center coming to Piasta. Story by Grace Nyland, grace.nyland at thmedia.com. BizBuzz shares business tidbits from around the Tri-State area. This edition highlights developments in Dubuque, Darlington, Wisconsin, and Piasta, Iowa. A new wine shop is gearing up for its Dubuque debut. EJ's Wine Shop and Tasting Room will host its grand opening, February 29th at 955 Washington Street. The tasting room will feature a variety of local, regional, and international wines while focusing on customer engagement and education. The shop held its soft opening earlier this month, said owner E.J. Drossler, but will it will transition to regular hours next week. We're super excited about ex- introducing this concept to debut, Drossler said. We're very retail-driven. So we're here to help customers make the best choice so they can find something very fun and unique that meets their needs. The shop will share space with Wayfarer Coffee, an existing coffee shop and cafe in the historic Millwork District. Wayfarer will use the space in the mornings with afternoons and evenings reserved for Drossler's tasting room. In addition to its retail space, the wine shop will have a seating area for casual conversation, wine flights, and tastings. Some snacks will be available for purchase, as well as a variety of beers, mocktails, and more. It's a wine shop, not a bar, Drossler said. It's not a place where the music is so loud you can't hear yourself think. It's a place where you can come and bring your favorite book and just relax on the couch. Drossler added that his goal with the space is to offer an affordable, accessible place for area residents to enjoy and learn more about wine. He said the shop will offer a variety of wines to allow customers to try something new each visit. Our first official wine club pickup date is March 15th, Drossler said. I'm really pumped to launch that because we'll have a surprise bottle for all those members to take home and unwrap to kick us off in a really exciting way. Starting February 29th, EJ's Wine Shop and Tasting Room will be open 
1 to 8 p.m. Thursday through Saturday and noon to 4.30 p.m. Sunday. More information about the shop is available online at ejswineshop.com. Southwest Clinic opens Darlington Clinic. Southwest Health's new, newest satellite clinic has opened in Darlington, Wisconsin. The clinic recently opened at 133 Performance Drive and includes a host of services including optometry, OBGYN care, speech and physical therapy, and ear, nose, and throat care. Dental services are also available from Darlington Family Dental. It's nice to have a lot of entities in one place at clinic, optometrist Janie Belka. Having it all in one location means that Darlington residents don't have to travel so far to get those services. Southwest Health previously provided eye care at its center on Darlington's Main Street. As demand continued to grow, Belkin said it became clear the eye center needed more space. Instead of simply building a larger standalone clinic, however, Southwest Health partnered with Darlington Family Dental to create the new clinic at Performance Drive and expand services. Gynecologist Mary Beth Wampfler had her first shift at the Darlington Clinic last week and already has seen a couple of new clients. Wampfler provides full-spectrum OBGYN care related to reproductive, prenatal, and postpartum health. The space is great, so now we're just working to get the word out, Wampfler said. Everything we can do at the OBGYN Clinic and Platteville, we should be able to do here as well. The Southwest Darlington Health Darlington Clinic is open 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. Interested patients can contact the clinic at 608-776-4413 or attend an open house from 6.30 from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Tuesday, February 27th. Women's Fitness Center coming to Piasta. A new women's fitness center is warming up for its grand opening in Piasta. Sweat Inspire Sisterhood, located at 7477 Thunder Valley Drive, is set to open March 1 near Dark House, near Dark Bird Tap House and Jumble Coffee. Fitness Center will offer a variety of workout classes for women with a focus on strength training and community building. I wanted to create something that was buying for women, said owner Erica Hermson. It's a fitness center, but I hope it can be more than that. I want it to be a place for events, workshops, or just to meet people. Hermson launched Sweat Inspire Sisterhood online in 2016 as a virtual workout community. She said she started the business to create a space for adult women to focus on fitness in a healthy, empowering environment. The online community grew over the years, Hermson said prompting her to work toward opening a brick-and-mortar location. A Farley native, she said she, it made sense to build that location close to her hometown. I always knew I wanted to open something back home, said Hermson, who currently lives near Kansas City, Missouri. That's always been the dream. The fitness center will offer classes six days a week, Hermson said, with the exception of Sunday. There, instructors will lead classes on high-intensity, interval training, dance classes, hot yoga, and more. Women can sign up as members for unlimited access or to purchase class passes to take a certain number of drop-in lessons. In-person members also will have access to Sweat Inspire Sisterhood's online, ongoing online offerings. All classes will focus on improving strength and overall well-being, Hermson said. Our motto has always been, strong, not skinny, she said. Growing up in the 90s and seeing all the photos of super, super skinny girls in magazines, I know that's easy to internalize. But we really want to focus on getting strong and staying healthy, not just losing a bunch of weight. 
Sweat Inspires Sisterhood will host an open house for its Piazza location from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, February 23rd, and from 7 to 10 a.m. Saturday and Sunday, February 24th and 25th. Tours will be available at those times as well as discounted Founders Membership Pricing. Further updates on the center can be found online at sweatinspiresisterhood.com or by following the Sweat Inspire Sisterhood Facebook page. Business Tips Sought. Do you have an interesting story idea or news tip to share about a local business? Ideas can be shared with business reporter Grace Nyland at grace.nyland, that's N-I-E-L-A-N-D, at teachmedia.com, or by calling her at 563-588-5647. Delaware County Master Gardeners to host educational series. Dateline, Manchester, Iowa. Delaware County Master Gardeners will hold a four-session educational series next month. Mondays in March will be held from 7 to 8 p.m. Monday evenings at Our Savior Lutheran Church, 116 Gwetz Court, Manchester, according to an online announcement. Session dates and topics include March 4th, Landscape Needs Small Areas for Sun and Shade Use of Yard Art and Water Features. March 11th, Paragrasses and Native Plants in the Garden. March 18th, Foraging for Survival. March 25th, succulents, what's new, incorporating them into the garden and containers. A $2 donation is collected at the door at each session. Proceeds support Master Gardeners programming and events in Delaware County. Potosi Schools to host informational meeting on operational referendum. Potosi, Wisconsin. Potosi School District will host an informational meeting next week on the district's operational referendum question that will appear on the spring election ballot. The meeting will be held at 7 p.m. February 29th in Livens Auditorium of Potosi Schools, 128 U.S. Highway 61 North. The school is seeking an increase to its operational revenue, starting with a $400,000 increase next school year and increasing by $100,000 each year for the following three years before maxing out at $700,000 per year. District Administrator Kurt Cohen will make a short presentation and be available to answer questions. The election will be held April 2nd. Free screening of suicide prevention films set for March 3rd in Manchester, Dateline, Manchester, Iowa. Free screening of a suicide prevention film will be held next month in Manchester. Suicide Prevention Coalition of Delaware County will present a showing of My Ascension at 5 p.m. March 3rd at Castle Theater, 112 East Main Street, Manchester. The film presents the story of Emma Benoit, who at age 16 attempted suicide. Donations will be accepted to support the local coalition. Archbishop of Ghana Diocese visits Dubuque. Standing in the sanctuary of St. Raphael Cathedral on Monday, the Most Reverend Charles Gabriel Palmer Buckle gazed around him at the various stained glass windows and painting. His tour guide, the Reverend Monsignor Daniel Knepper, pointed out details of the church's architecture and design. We have founders of the church and religious orders painted up here in the alcoves and in the windows. We have Old Testament figures on the left and on the right are saints, Knepper said. Palmer Buckle, the bishop, Archbishop of Cape Coast in Ghana, Africa, listened as Knepper explained the history of the cathedral and its role in the Archdiocese of Dubuque. I begin to understand how Catholic this place has been, he said, later adding. It seems you cherish your roots. I'm happy to hear that. Palmer Buckle's tour of the cathedral was part of a visit to Dubuque to meet with priests from his diocese who are currently serving in the Archdiocese of Dubuque. He also was scheduled to provide, preside at a private mass 
the seminarians and meet with Dubuque Archbishop Thomas Zinkula. Three priests from the Archdiocese of Cape Coast are currently assigned to parishes in the Archdiocese of Dubuque and are among 13 international priests in the Archdiocese, according to Director of Pastoral Planning and Leadership Development, Kim Hermson. Two Cape Coast priests joined Palmer Buckle for his tour of the Cathedral of St. Raphael on Monday. The Reverend Lewis Hammond, chaplain at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City, and the Reverend Richmond Dezoke, pastor of St. John the Twenty-Third Catholic Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. They made great names for themselves over here, Palmer Wackel said. I am here not as a shepherd looking for a sheep, but as a shepherd looking for his co-shepherds. Palmer Buckle, a native of Ghana, was raised by a Catholic father and an Anglican mother. After attending a requiem mass in 1958 for the late Pope Pius XII, an eight-year-old Palmer Buckle told his father he wanted to become a priest. He said, oh, we will see, Palmer Buckle recalled laughing. But true to his word, Palmer Buckle entered the minor seminary at age 13 and was ordained to the priesthood at age 26 in 1976. He became a bishop in 1992 and was tapped to lead the newly formed diocese of Corfo-Edua, Ghana. In 2005, he was appointed Archbishop of Accra, Ghana, before moving to his current position as Archbishop of Cape Coast in 2018. Palmer Buckle will remain in Iowa through February 26. His trip to the U.S. also includes planned stops to visit Ghanaian priests in New York, Massachusetts, and Texas. Over the past week, Palmer Buckle presided at Masses in Iowa City, Worthington, and Dyersville, Iowa, where he was impressed by strong attendance and participation. Especially to look at all, all the young people who came for Holy Mass, I was impressed, he said. We are under the wrong impression sometimes that in the Holy Catholic Church that devotion is going down, but in places like these, you realize people are truly, deeply Catholic. Ask the TH what's happening with Carter and Asbury Rhodes. Will Clock Tower play bells again? Story by Michelle London, michelle.london at thmedia.com. Question. How much longer will Carter Road and Asbury Road be a four-way stop? Is there any update on when the damaged lights will be functioning again? Answer. According to the City of Dubuque Engineering Technician Duane Richter, the traffic signal infrastructure at the intersection has already been scheduled for a placement due to deteriorating underground signal components prior to a January 12th with a related crash at the intersection that did further damage to the signal. A vehicle crash during a January snowstorm severely damaged the signal's control cabinet and sheared off its wiring at the ground level, Richter said in a statement to the Telegraph Herald. It was determined that the underground wiring feeding the signals was degraded beyond a simple replacement. Richter said it is not known how long the intersection will operate as a four-way stop, adding that as soon as modifications can be made, city crews will install wiring that will bring the damaged traffic signal back to normal operations and allow the originally scheduled replacement project to continue. Those modifications will be the first step in the eventual replacement project, which is scheduled to be completed this fall, Richter said. Once finished, the new Asbury light arms will be above Asbury Road and include left-turn-only signals as well. Will clock tower bells play again? Question, what happened to the bells and bell music from the clock tower on Main Street that used to play every morning at 9 a.m.? Answer, like Hill Valley's clock tower and Back to the Future, Dubuque's clock tower is a landmark with a storied past. The current clock tower was built in 1873, electrified in 1927, 
and moved to the newly formed clock tower, Town Clock Plaza in 1971 on Main Street. A roundabout was built around the tower in early 2000s, and it got a little bit of a makeover in 2007 with a new electrical system, lighting, and paint. City of Dubuque's Park Division Manager Steve Faisal and his staff are the people who maintain the clock tower, which is not an easy task considering all of its moving parts. Since last fall, the music chimes that usually emanate from the clock at 9 a.m. each day have stopped playing. It is an issue that Fez Faisal and Parks Division staff have been trying to repair. Staff are working on the issue, and we have contacted the vendor for the town clock's control panel to try to determine what is preventing the bells and bells music from being played. Faisal told the Telegraph Herald, Need an answer? Submit a question to telegraphherald com slash slate slash forms slash ask the TH via email or send an email to michelle.london at thmedia.com or call her at 563-588-5655. Consultants advise on Cascade EMS personnel shortage. Dayline Cascade, Iowa. Consultants provided Cascade officials with several recommendations for combating the low numbers of volunteers for local emergency medical services. Robert Hall and Scott McDonough of Iowa EMS Consultants presented the recommendations to Cascade City Council February 12th. The recommendations included hiring a paid director who would work 15 hours a week, as well as paying EMS workers an hourly wage while on calls. The cost for the study was $19,500, and a grant from the city received from DRA covered $16,264 of the fee. Future meetings will be held with EMS officers to examine the recommendations. Registration open for Cascade Chamber Fundraiser, Dateline Cascade, Iowa. Iowa. Registrations are being accepted for an annual Cascade Area Chamber of Commerce fundraising event. Chamber's annual dinner will be held at 5 p.m. March 20th at Cascade American Legion Hall, 301 Jackson Street. The event includes recognition of the 2024 Business of the Year Award recipient. Tickets are $25. Register online at the Cascade Chamber website. Free guided hike in Jackson County to find shed deer antlers. Dateline Makokata, Iowa. Jackson County Conservation is hosting a free guided hike to find shed deer antlers. The event will be held from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. Wednesday to February 21 at Prairie Creek Recreation Area, 1215 East Summit Street in Makokata, according to online announcement. Registration is required and can be made by emailing jwagner at jacksoncounty.iowa.gov or by calling 563-652-3783. Platteville Business receives $25,000 grant. Dangland Platteville, Wisconsin, a Platteville coffee shop, has received a $25,000 grant geared towards small business development. Badger Brothers Coffee, number 10 East Main Street recently received the grant from Community First Bank on behalf of Federal Home Loan Bank of Chicago through its Community First Accelerate Grants Program for small businesses. Badger Brothers was one of 172 businesses throughout Illinois and Wisconsin to receive financial support through the program, which is meant to support the purchase of new equipment, improved technology, or workforce developments more broadly. The coffee shop opened Platteville in 2003, and since it's added a second location in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. Chestnut Mountain to host snowboard and ski competition. Dateline, Galena, Illinois. 
freestyle snowboard and ski competition will take place at Chessman Resort next month. The March Madness, Big Air, and Rail Jam competition will take place on March 2nd, according to an online event announcement. The announcement states, the competition is open to skiers and snowboarders of all levels. The Big Air event will be held at 1 p.m., followed by a Rail Jam at 3 p.m. The cost to participate is $20 per event, and registration will be open from 8.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. on the day of the event. For more information, visit online at www.chestnutmtm.com. Galena Company Receives Development Grant Dateline Galena, Illinois. Galena Company received recently received a grant award from Northwest Illinois Economic Development. Michelle and Brendan Sullivan's 1826 Creative Company received $9,625 from the Economic Organization's GENS Small Business Development Fund, according to a press release. The release states the funding will be used to purchase a 2023 Mac Studio workstation and an industry-specific camera package for the company that offers graphic design, website, and mobile app creation, along with photo and video production services. Established in 2020, the Gen Small Business Development Fund was formed by the late John Jack Jens of Galena to provide gap financing to retailers, farmers, food processors, small manufacturers, wholesalers, and hospitality industries genres. Northwest Illinois Economic Group offering entrepreneurial scholarships. Stateline Hanover, Illinois. Applications are being accepted for scholarships available to graduating high school seniors in Joe Davis and Carroll Counties in Illinois who want to start a business or pursue a career in business. The John D. Cook III Memorial Scholarship is offered by Northwest Illinois Economic Development. One first-place scholarship recipient will receive $2,000 and two runners-up will receive $1,500 each. Visit the NWIED scholarship site for more information or download an application. Completed applications should be returned by March 29th to David Schmidt at dschmidt at nwild.org or at one commercial sent mail it to one commercial drive, Suite 2, Hanover, Illinois, 61041. Jackson County Group accepting grant applications from youth serving organizations. Dayline McCook at Iowa. Applications are due later this month for grants intended for youth serving nonprofit organizations in Jackson, Jackson County. The Youth Philanthropy Board in Jackson County, styled as PBNJ, will award $3,000. Grant applications and guidelines are available at the online at the dbqfoundation.org slash cfjc. Selected applications, applicants will be asked to make a presentation to the PBNJ board on March 11th. Cassville Breakfast to Support FFA. Dateline Cassville, Wisconsin. A fundraise event will help support the local school's FFA members. The Cassville FFA Alumni Pancake Breakfast will be held from 8.30 a.m. to noon, February 25th at Cassville High School, Cafeteria 715 Amelia Street. The cost is $10 per person. Children 6 and under eat free. Award-winning Country Group to headline Clayton County Fair. Dateline National, Iowa. An award-winning country music group with six top ten singles will headline this year's Clayton County Fair. Blackhawk will perform at 9 p.m. August 1 at the fair, according to an online announcement. Winners of the Vocal Group or Duo Award at the 1995 TNN Music City, country, music City News Country Awards, Blackhawk has released a string of hits, charts on the country, chart hits, 
hits charting on the U.S. country charts, including every once in a while, I'm not strong enough to say no, and there you have it. The fair runs from July 31 to August 5th. Fair organizers also announce other musical acts for this year's events. Way Jennings, the son of Waylon Jennings, will perform at 7 p.m. August 1. Eli Alger and the Faster Horses will perform at 7 p.m. and Not Quite Brothers will follow at 9 p.m. on August 2nd. Visit ClaytonCountyFair.com for more information. Movie screening, discussion in Dubuque to examine low reading proficiency. A free movie screening and discussion next month in Dubuque focuses on the nationwide issue of low reading proficiency. The Right to Read will be shown at an event from 6 to 9 p.m. March 24th at the Carnegie Stout Public Library, 360 West 11th Street, according to an online announcement. The screening of the documentary is presented by the Library and the Community Foundation of Greater Dubuque. Directed by Jenny McKenzie, the 2023 film shares the story of an, stories of an NAACP activist, a teacher, and two families working to combat low-reading proficiency. A discussion of the issue will follow the screening of the 70-minute film. Singer-songwriter to headline Codfish Hollow, July 4th show. Dateline McCoca to Iowa. A singer, songwriter, and actress who has appeared on Broadway and on a hit single by Panic at the Disco will headline the July 4th show at Jackson County venue this summer. Lolo, also known as Lauren Pritcher, will appear July 4th during the Barn on the 4th Lady Liberty show at Codfish Hollow Barnstormers, according to an online announcement. Lolo will be joined by Annie Humphrey Music, Awful Purdy's, Diane Patterson and Lojo Russo in a show celebrating female artists. Born and raised in Jackson, Tennessee, Lolo originated the role of Ilse in the Broadway musical Spring Awakening in 2006. She signed with Sony ATV Music Publishing in 2008 and has since released four full-length albums. Lolo's collaborations included work on Panic at the Disco's album Death of a Bachelor, and singles by the band, including Miss Jackson from 2013. Tickets for the show are available at starting at 10 a.m. Friday, February 23rd. Wisconsin Motorists receiving new license plate stickers for electric vehicles. A new law in Wisconsin calls for all electric and hybrid vehicles registered in the state to carry engines, indicating their engine type. To satisfy that requirement, Wisconsin Department of Transportation Division of Motor Vehicles will soon will send new EV hybrid stickers to registered owners of registered hybrid and electric vehicles in the state, according to a department press release. The new law requires a black and orange EV hybrid sticker to be attached to the top right corner to each vehicle's license plate. The DMV reports nearly 146,000 EV or hybrid vehicles are registered in the state. Stickers are a safety tool for emergency personnel. First responders will be able to quickly identify the vehicle as having electric components by the orange and black EV hybrid sticker, the release dates. All EV or hybrid stickers should receive their sticker by June via U.S. mail, the release states. Manchester Council approves East Main Street Project Associated Assessments. Story by Jake Bourgeois, Manchester Press, Manchester, Iowa. A street project recently was approved by the members of the Manchester City Council after being tabled the previous month. While well, council members on January 8th approved sending work 
on the 2024 East Main Street project out for bids, the council tabled a resolution that would have assessed property owners some of the project's costs. The proposed project consists of reconstruction of existing streets, installation of new sanitary sewer, storm sewer, water sewer main, water main and sidewalks, and reconstruction of driveways on and along East Main Street from a point approximately 50 feet west of the intersection with Bailey Drive on the west to a point approximately 60 feet west of its intersection with Style Street on the east. At its February 12th meeting, the council agreed to a $1.3 million contract with top grade excavating for the work. The council also discussed proposed changes to the city's assessments policy that dictates what's part of the project and how much residents are responsible for paying. City Manager Tim Vick detailed the new policy, which states the paving assessments will be limited to 25% of the land value for residential properties and 25% of the land and building value for multifamily, commercial, and industrial properties. Those assessments include 50% of the curb and gutter installation expenses and 100% of the expenses for sidewalk and driveways installation. Private service laterals for water and sewer will be assessed at 100% of the costs associated with the connection from the dwelling or the property to the right-of-way according to council documents. The total assessments split between the 20 affected property owners and, and is more than $154,000. Even though we've taken out the water and sewer as part of the overall cap, there's still an overall limit of 25% of the building and a lot value that we can't exceed under state law, Vic said. You are listening to the reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024 on IRIS the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's turn to today's obituaries. Eugene J. Crapful. Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. Eugene J. Crapful, 88, of Dyersville, formerly Verilville, Iowa, passed away Sunday, February 18, 2024, surrounded by his family at Mercy Hospital in Dubuque. Visitation will be held from 2 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday, February 21, at Kramer Funeral Home in Dyersville. Visitation will continue at the Kramer Funeral Home from 9 to 10 a.m. prior to the funeral mass. Funeral services will be held at 10.30 a.m. on Thursday, February 22, 2024, at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Earlville, with burial in the church cemetery where, where military honors will be accorded. The Reverend Chris Pudgehaski will officiate. Eugene was born April 10, 1935, in Dubuque, Iowa, the firstborn son of eight children, to Lawrence and Lorraine Dutmeyer Krapfel, while he where he spent his childhood working on his parents' farm. He graduated from St. Boniface in the 8th grade and continued to work on his family farm in addition to being a hired hand at other farms. He met the love of his life while he was still a teen at a dance at the Casey Hall in Dyersville. They were engaged shortly before he left for the Army in 1955. He returned home and married Betty Neighbor on September 24, 1957, at the Basilica. They began farming in Masonville before eventually settling in Earlville, farming and managing their welding shop. He explored the United States for the first time as an enlisted man, enjoyed seeing the Pacific Northwest, and made lifelong friends while serving our country. He was a creative and jack of all he was creative and a jack of all trades. There wasn't anything he couldn't fix. He designed and rebuilt a farmhouse where he raised his family of eight. He helped repair many cars through the years and welded bikes together that he got from junk piles. He repaired farm implements in his welding shop, but also created steel projects such as handrails outside St. Joseph's Church in Earlville. 
He won first place at the Iowa State Fair Night, 64 for a swing set he built from scrap metal. Gene collect, collected and created scale model toys twice for about 10 years. He enjoyed having a table at the toy shows in Dyersville and traveled to several competitions in the Midwest where he won trophies for toys he designed and built from tin pop cans. He shared his love of creativity and handiwork with children and grandchildren, one of which now does beautiful woodwork creations directly inspired by his grandfather. Gene also worked in the Irvine Post Office and enjoyed many years working at the Clifton Funeral Home. A big passion in his, wife was his, in his life was his wife. Gene managed Betty's country band, and they traveled the area playing for weddings and anniversaries. He handled the sound systems and supported her and the band for their shows. Gene loved Betty fiercely and was so romantic he never forgot to celebrate their wedding anniversary, but also the day of their first date. His heart was broken when Betty first had her stroke and then passed a little over four years ago. He's ready to pass on at that point as a big part of his life was gone. He was a patient, tolerant, and funny father. He needed patience having three boys in a row who were quite talented at raising ruckus. He loved his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He loved a good joke, high fives, and a last tag. It would be greatly missed by all who knew him, but were at peace knowing he's finally reunited by Betty. He survived by his eight children and other relatives, who succeeded in death by his parents, his wife, Betty, in 2020, and other relatives. Family would like to thank the staff at Ellen Kennedy Center for their compassionate care of the last nine years. Also, a special thank you to the fourth floor nursing staff at Mercy and Dubuque, especially Patty, Ellie, and Lexi, and Dr. Ryan Style of Medical Associates for the Above and Beyond Care. Kramer Funeral Home and Dyers will assisting the family and information is available at www.kramerfuneral.com. Memorials may be sent to the family and care of the funeral home at 750 12th Avenue Southwest, Dyers Iowa, 52040. Dennis C. Scott. Dateline McCulkett, Iowa. Dennis C. Denny Scott, 78 McCulkett, passed away on Saturday, February 17, 2024, surrounded by his family at home. He was born. March 19, 1953, to Lewis Jr. and Betty Jane Becker Scott McCulkett. He was second of three sons. Upon graduating from McCulkett High School, he joined the family farm operation. He married Nancy Staskill, and to this union, two daughters were born, Tiffany and Jennifer. They were later divorced. He married his loving wife of 43 years, Wendy Mead, in 1980. He had one son, Christopher. Denny had an unwavering commitment to his family, was best papa, and was absolutely adored by his grandchildren. He farmed his entire life. He took great pride in being a steward of the land and care of his animals. He enjoyed working as a groundskeeper, custodian, and bus driver for the Maquoketa School District for over 25 years. After retiring from Maquoketa, he continued driving bus for the Midland School District. Throughout the years, he worked side by side with Wendy at her floral shop. He was often referred to as Mr. Ron Anz, delivering floral arrangements and maintaining the property. He was a unique role model in many, many uses. He selflessly shared his time, support, and words of wisdom. He captured many with his sarcastic wit stories and educational quips. He left a lasting impression on everyone he met. Then he survived by his wife, Wendy Scott, children, Tiffany, Brad Mangler, Jennifer, Jason Hulse, and Christopher Kate Scott, other relatives, grandchildren as well. He was preceded in death by his parents, his brother, Louis Wayne and the nephew Aaron Scott. The celebration of life includes a visitation at the Carson Celebration of Life Center in McCulkett, Iowa, on February 22nd from 3 to 7 p.m., followed by his funeral service at February 23rd at 10.30 a.m., burial to follow at Penn Cemetery, Roll Baldwin, Iowa. 
Memorials may be made to Hospice of Jackson County or the Dennis C. Scott Memorial Fund, while condolences may be left with the funeral home at www.carsonandson.com. Sylvia A. Gillies Sylvia Ann Gillies, 93 of Dubuque and formerly of Hanover, Illinois, passed away on Friday, February 16, 2024, at an old manor in Dubuque. According to her wishes, there will be no visitation. A family burial service will take place this summer in Evergreen Cemetery in Hanover, Illinois. The Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, Dubuque, Iowa, is assisting the family. She was born January 19, 1931, in Bradley, South Dakota, the daughter of Reuben and Merle Freiberger Gallup, she married Dick Gillies on December 16, 1915, Clark, South Dakota. They started their life together in Igloo, South Dakota. In 1965, they moved to Hanover, Illinois. She moved, later moved to Dubuque in 2010 to be closer to her family. She was a loving mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother who loved to cook and play cards. She was survived by three children, Jean Debbie Gillies of Dubuque, Rick Darlene Gillies of Anniston, Alabama, Jolene Dale Horsfield of Fort Myers, Florida. She also has 10 grandchildren, 25 great-grandchildren. She was seen in death by her parents, her husband, Dick, and a sister, Hazel Merle Barron's family. would like to thank the nurses and staff at a noble manner, as well as staff of Cure Initiatives Hospice for all the care and kindness they gave to her. Diane C. Marsh, Dayline, Galena, Illinois. Diane C. Marsh, 88 of Galena, died Sunday, February 18th. Arrangements are pending for Long Funeral Chapel of Galena is assisting the family. K. M. Steinley, Dateline, Galena, Illinois. K. M. Steinley, 82 of Galena, died Sunday, February 18th. Service will be held at 1 p.m. Thursday, February 22nd at Furlong Funeral Chapel in Galena. Dennis C. Hoffman, Dateline, Plattville, Wisconsin. Dennis C. Hoffman, 72 of Plattville, died Friday, February 9th, 2024. A celebration of life will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Wednesday, February 21 at Melby Funeral Home and Crematory in Plattville. Billy G. Klein, Dateline, Oregon, Wisconsin. Billy G. Klein, 91 of Oregon and formerly of Platteville, died on Friday, February 16th. Visitation will be from 2, 10 a.m. to noon Saturday, February 24, at Melby Funeral Home and Crematory in Platteville, where services will follow. Burial will be in Greenwood Cemetery in Platteville at a later date. Linda K. Muckrush, Dateline Dyersville, Iowa. Linda K. Muckrush, 67, of Dyersville, died Saturday, February 17th. Visitation will be from 11 a.m. to noon, Saturday, February 24th, at Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Asbury, where a memorial service will follow. Christ Aid Cremation Center of East Dubuque, Illinois, is assisting the family. John W. Tilton. John W. Jack Tilton, 77, of Dubuque, died Sunday, February 18th. A private family celebration will be held at a later date. Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory of Dubuque is assisting the family. Margaret E. Wasson Pratt, Dayline, Galena, Illinois. Margaret E. Wasson Pratt, 82, of the Galena, died Saturday, February 17th, 2024. Visitation will be from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, February 23rd at Furlong Funeral Chapel in Galena. Here's information on area funeral services. Rachel Bartol, Dubuque, Celebration of Life, 1 to 6 p.m. Saturday, March 9th, Oxus Grotto. Alice Bain, Preston, Iowa, Visitation, 9 to 11 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th, St. John's Lutheran Church, Preston. Service, 11 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Doris L. Brandel, Dyersville, Iowa, Visitation, 9 to 10.45 a.m. Today, Sacred Heart Church, Dubuque. 
Service 11 a.m. today at the church. Mildred Clarkson Friar Preston, Iowa. Visitation 5 to 8 p.m. Tuesday, February 20th. Law Jones Funeral Home Preston from 10 to 11 a.m. Wednesday, February 21, St. John's Lutheran Church Press. Service 11 a.m. Wednesday at the church. Thomas M. Clawson, Dubuque. Visitation 1 p.m. Wednesday, February 21, Mount Olivet Cemetery, followed by entombment at the Cemetery Mausoleum. John Duane, Dubuque. Visitation 9.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th, St. Anthony's Catholic Church. Massive Christian Burial, 10 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Verna L. Flagel, Zwingle, Iowa, visitation 5 to 7 p.m. today, Carson Celebration of Life Center, McCulkada, Todd M. God, Elkator, Iowa, visitation 10 to 11 a.m. Thursday, February 22nd, First Congregation Church, Elkator, service 11 a.m. Thursday at the church. Margaret B. M. Huber, Esbury, Iowa, visitation 4 to 7 p.m. today, Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home, 3860 Asbury Road, prayer service, 7 p.m. today at the funeral home. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th, Resurrection Catholic Church. Gwendolyn M. Johnson, Bagley, Wisconsin. Visitation, 4 to 7 p.m. today and from 9.30 to 10.10 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th. St. Charles Catholic Church, Cassville. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Lois A. Monternach. Cascade, Iowa, visitation 9 a.m. today, St. Martin's Catholic Church, Cascade, service, 10.30 a.m. today at the church. Greg A. Marcotte, Schulzburg, Wisconsin, celebration of life, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, April 6th, Howden Shield, Home and cremation services, Cuba City. Marilyn McDonald, debut, visitation 9.30 to 10.15. 15 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th, St. Patrick Catholic Church, Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Rita M. Moore, Asbury, Iowa, Visitation, 9 to 10.15 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th, Holy Ghost Catholic Church, Service, 10.30 a.m. Tuesday at the church. Ann M. O'Hay, Dubuque, Visitation, 3 to 7 p.m. Tuesday, February 20th, Leonard Funeral Home and Crematory, 2595 Rockdale Road, Massive Christian Burial, 10 a.m., Wednesday at St. Patrick's Catholic Church. Elena C. Orr, Dubuque, Visitation, 10 to 11 a.m. Friday, February 23rd, St. Clement Catholic Church, Lancaster, Wisconsin, Massive Christian Burial, 11 a.m. Friday at the church. Grace M. Smith, Chicago, Visitation, 11 a.m. to 12.45 p.m. Saturday, February 24th, Offensteiner Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road, Service, 12.45 p.m. Saturday at the funeral home. Norbert H. Smith, Dubuque, Visitation, 9 to 10.15 a.m. Today, Saints Peter and Paul Church, Cheryl, Iowa. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. Today at the church. Sandra J. Williams, Devonport, Iowa. Service, 1 p.m. Today at Mount Calvary Cemetery. Marilyn R. Zeiser, Ryan, Iowa. Visitation, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Today, St. Patrick's Catholic Church, Ryan. Massive Christian Burial, 10.30 a.m. today at the church. Here's an obituary for Margaret M. Huber, Dateline, Adsbury, Iowa. Margaret Mary Bremeyer Huber passed away February 16th at Stone Hill Care Center. She suffered from heart disease and dementia. She was born July 22, 1942 in Baltown, Iowa to Alphonse and Elnora Hansen Bremeyer. On September 14, 1963, she married... Ronald J. Huber at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Dubuque. 
He preceded her in death on December 25th, 2015. Massive Christian burial will be at 10.30 a.m. Tuesday, February 20th, at the Church of the Resurrection. Burial will be at Mount Calvary Cemetery in Dubuque. Friends may greet the family from 4 to 7 p.m. Monday, February 19th, at the Hoffer Steiner Kitchen Funeral Home, 3860 Asbury Road, Dubuque, where prayer service will be at 7 p.m. She graduated from Wallert High School in 1960 and attended NICC. She valued a strong work ethic and lived a life of service in the Butte community. She enjoyed many part-time jobs. Her most meaningful professional work was helping those experiencing poverty, finding suitable housing through the Regional Council of Government, East Central Intergovernmental Association. Marge and Ron were proud pioneers of Teens Encounter Christ and Christian Experience Weekends, helping to bring the love of Christ to so many. She selflessly gave her time, talent, and treasure to various causes, including her favorites, the Shalom Retreat Center and Maria House. Beyond her charitable endeavors, she embraced life's adventures, traveling the globe with her beloved Ron and exploring Australia, Europe, Hawaii, and every corner of the United States. Yet her most cherished moments were spent with her grandchildren and children in the warmth of her home. She knew each of us and had a knack for it, finding unique personalized gifts to celebrate life's milestones. She had many accomplishments, but what mattered most to her were family and friends. She was charming, entertaining, and loving, all jumbled up in a single form. She was an amazing talker, but knew when it was time to walk the walk, walk the talk. To know her was to love her. Survivors include her four children and other relatives. Besides her parents and husband, she was succeeded in death by six brothers and brothers and sisters-in-law. In lieu of flowers, the family requests that donations be made to Stonehill Care Center and Hospice Dubuque. The family would like to extend a special thank you to the Stonehill Care Center team, especially beautiful souls who work and live in the memory household. Their love and devotion and march to Marge's last years will always be treasured. Hoffensteiner Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory are responsible for arrangements. A photo tribute can be viewed and condolences can be sent to the family by visiting her obituary at www.hskfhcares.com. Rita M. Moore, Dateline Asbury, Iowa. Rita M. Moore, age 91 of Dubuque, passed away peacefully at noon or at 12 a.m. Friday, February 16th at the Hawkeye Care Center, surrounded by her loving family. To honor her life, family and friends may visit from 9 a.m. to 10 a. 15 a.m. on Tuesday, February 20th at Holy Spirit Parish, Holy Ghost Church, 2921 Central Avenue. Funeral services will be held 10.30 a.m. Tuesday at Holy Ghost Church with Reverend Stephen M. Garner officiating burial will be at Mount Calvary Cemetery. Bear Funeral Home is assisting the family. Rita was a woman of grace, compassion, generosity with a warm sense of humor. She had a, lived a long life of love, selflessness, and deep devotion to her family. She was born March 1, 1932, in Dubuque, Iowa, daughter of John and Minnie Craig Rydell. Shortly after graduating, he was class president and valedictorian from the Immaculate Conception Attic. Academy, she married Aloysius Coos on August 8, 1950, in Dubuque. They had three children together before he passed away tragically on May 25, 1957. With help of her family and faith, she raised her three beloved children while working full-time and stayed active and involved in the community. Later in life, Rita once again found love with Albert Bud Moore. They married June 9, 1970, and celebrated their 29th wedding anniversary together before he proceeded to her end death. She worked with A.Y. McDonald for over 53 years, beginning as a pool secretary and advancing to serve as executive assistant to Bruce McDonald, then as vice president of public relations. She was a member of Holy Ghost Church and Rosary Society, past 
president of the Dubuque Business and Professional Women's Organization, a director of Dubuque Racing Association, and the First Lady Elk of Dubuque. She was also volunteered countless hours to the United Way and other organizations. She enjoyed league bowling, playing piano, and playing cards. She had a bright smile on her face and was the biggest cheerleader for her loved ones. Those left to cherish her memory include her children, Joseph Sherry Coos, East Dubuque, Kenneth Kristen Coos, Marco Island, Florida, and Farmington, Connecticut, James Judy Moore Dubuque, Gerald Moore Dubuque, and John Moore Kingston, New York, and her grandchildren and other family members. She was preceded in death by her parents and husbands and her daughter, Janet Marie Coos, a grandson, Christopher Coos, a step-granddaughter, Chrissy Moore, and his sister, Marcella Glenn Quayle. The family would like to thank the nurses and staff of Hawkeye Care Center and Hospice of Duke for the outstanding and loving care they have provided for Rita. The family will thankfully receive your support through greeting cards and memorials in her name, which may be mailed to Bear Funeral Home, 1491 Main Street, Dubuque, Iowa, 52001, Attention Rita Moore Family. Online condolences may be left for the family at the Bear Funeral Home website. Here's a look at local law enforcement reports. The Dubuque Police and Dubuque County Sheriff's Department reported the following. Miranda E.E. E. Croft, 24 of 3240 Getty Terrace, Number 201 was arrested at 3.28 a.m. Monday at a residence on charges of public intoxication. Interference with official acts, disorderly conduct, loud and raucous noise, and two counts of child endangerment. Courtney M. Conley, 30 of 1280 Alta Vista Street, was arrested at 4.54 p.m. Sunday at a residence on charges of domestic assault with injury and child endangerment. Police say a Dubuque woman faces neglect charges after toddler 100 streets alone. Police said a woman faces felony of the black charges after a toddler was found wandering streets with her Dubuque streets with her dog alone. Shanequa S.S. Grissom, 32 of 1876 Washington Street, was arrested at 7.01 p.m. Saturday at a residence on three counts of neglect or abandonment of a dependent person. Neglect or abandonment of a dependent person is a Class E felony in Iowa, punishable by up to 10 years in prison. Court documents state that officers were dispatched at approximately 5.17 p.m. to the 1800 block of Elm Street for a report of a child and dog walking alone. Police located a four-year-old girl and a dog alone with no caretaker. The girl told police she and a dog had left a residence without her mother, who was later identified as Grissom. Documents state, one chill index was nine degrees when police located the girl who was wearing a jacket, pajama pants, shoes but no hat, or gloves. Documents states, a review of City of Dubuque traffic camera showed the girl walking or running in the travel portion of the walkway, 1800 block Washington Street, multiple times, document state. The girls later seen the traffic camera footage running across 1800 block of Elm Street, causing a vehicle traveling north in Elm Street to come to a stop to avoid hitting her, document state. Officers arriving at Grisson's residence found two eight-year-old children home alone and were told Grisson had gone shopping, document state. Police say vehicle strikes, injures pedestrian, then flees scene in Dubuque. Police said a pedestrian was struck and injured by a vehicle that flooded the scene in Dubuque. Aubrina M. Wohl, 16 of Dubuque, was transported by a private vehicle to Unity Health Finley Hospital for treatment of her injuries. Buell told police she was crossing Illinois Avenue near the intersection with Drexel Avenue at 9.35 p.m. Saturday when a vehicle struck her and caused her to lose consciousness. A witness told police the white Chevy at a white Chevy pickup truck turning from Drexel onto Illinois struck Wall. The driver then fled the scene after seeing the witness, the police said. The following notable action was taken by the Dubuque City Council on Monday. Raise grant application. 
Hection, Dubuque City Council members voted 7-0 to apply for a $25 million federal grant to improve vehicular and pedestrian traffic lead to and from downtown and Chapman-Schmidt Island. Background, the merger between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern Railroads is expected to double the number of trains passing through downtown Dubuque by 2027, impeding traffic flow at 10 at-grade intersections. An overpass is planned at the intersection of Elm and 14th Street over the train tracks. Roundabouts are planned at the intersection of 16th and Sycamore Streets and at the intersection of 16th and Greyhound Park Road slash Admiral Sheehy Drive. Complete street improvements along Elm and 16th Streets are planned to support enhanced bike lanes and dedicated bike paths and to improve bike and pedestrian access to Chapman Schmidt Island at the 16th Street Bridge over Piazza Channel. The estimated cost of the six projects included in the federal grant is $38.7 million. The maximum federal raise Grant amount is $25 million. The plant city plans set aside $3.3 million. Other funding sources include $9.1 million from the Dubuque Metropolitan Area Transportation Study and $1 million from the railroad. What's next? The planning and design process supported with funds from a previous $2.8 million raise grant could take up to two years. City officials expected to hear about receiving the $25 million raise grant by the end of the year. Construction could begin in 26, 2026 or 2027. Rezoning of Airborne Road recommended Air, Airborne Road. Action at the request of Dubuque Metropolitan Solid Waste Agency, Dubuque City Council members voted 7-0 to rezone Airborne Road from heavy industrial to agricultural. Background, the Solid Waste Agency plans to construct a customer service center, drop-off facility for residential customers and small loads. Currently, all customers are processed through the same gate and way station. This arrangement can lead to long waits as drivers wait to turn their turn to enter the landfill. The new facility would provide more efficient service, not only to residential customers, but also commercial customers with larger loads. The 37-acre property was annexed into the city in 1997, but retained its agricultural zoning designation. It remained vacant until 2021 when a biogas facility was developed. What's next? Now that rezoning is approved, the Solid Waste Agency can move forward with the review process. Site plans are reviewed by all relevant city departments regarding access, parking, grading, screening, paving, stormwater management, and water and sanitary sewer connection, fire safety, landscaping, and lighting. Once the site plan is approved, construction can move forward. The facility could open late summer or early fall of 2025. And that does it for today's reading of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. I'm your reader, Bill Petrosky. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. Thank you very much for listening.